With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Monday edition of the John Sanchez Show podcast. The following program is sponsored by Sanchez Wealth Management. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Further information is available by contacting John at SanchezWealthManagement.com or by calling 800-1801. John Sanchez is a registered representative offering securities and advisory services through Independent Financial Group, LLC, a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Securities only offered in states John Sanchez is registered in. Now, the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH. Good evening and welcome to the John Sanchez Show here on News Talk 780 KOH. This is Jason Gaunt here on a nice green market Monday. Unfortunately, it feels like uh, legitimately like watching a ping pong match with these up Two plus percent down, two plus percent up two. Pl- uh, 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 I'm hoping that uh, eventually the up two plus percent trend uh, uh, repeats itself because it's been a wild back and forth. Uh, you know, Friday was gave back everything from Thursday, and we saw a very strong move higher today in the markets. Which, again, I'm happy to, to report. Uh, but unfortunately, it seems, you know, uh, aside from some bank results today and some commentary from uh, a handful of uh, technicians and strategists, uh, it seems like a lot more of the same. Where we had a Dow that closed the day up 551 points or 1.86% to 3185. The S&P 500 was up by 95 points or 2.65% to 3678. And the NASDAQ up 355 points or 3.43% to 10675. Gold in the after hour session here, 1656 last down about $8.00. Oil, 85.88 last. Uh, Overall, crude was a a bit of a ho-hum day, uh, down about a third during the regular trading session. Energy was the weakest sector in the market today, followed by consumer staples, uh, uh, while uh, consumer discretionary, obviously with the NASDAQ up darn near 3.5%, was the shining star. couple reasons why the market was strong. As I mentioned, we got great results from Bank of America. Uh, we got results from uh, Bank of New York as well, also pretty favorable, uh, at least you know on the back of what we saw, J.P. Morgan and the like on Friday. They haven't been as dire as many had predicted. You're seeing net interest margins, which obviously are the uh, 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 take home that the banks get in, in their overall lending, uh, were much better than feared and in fact were good uh, in the fact that these banks are able to make money. Uh, trading revenues were fairly strong overall for many of the banks, Bank of America included, and the stock was up over 6% today, right? In the case of 
uh, uh, the market is priced for disaster. Uh, and at least as the banks kick things off, we'll get Goldman Sachs tomorrow. And I'm lucky enough to be joined by Candace Say a little bit later on tonight. Uh, but, you know, they've been pretty darn good, you know, right? Morgan Stanley uh, uh, at least talked about investment banking revenue being uh, less worse than feared. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, uh, the the first leg of the earnings stool at least uh, has started off, uh, you know, I'd say good enough in my opinion. And I think that's part of why the market held up okay today. We also had additional news out of the UK. Remember, that's our current macro focus uh, as they do now have a new finance minister uh, after firing the first one uh, after I believe just over 38 days. Uh, and the new finance minister said, hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to take back all of those comments that we had <clears throat> excuse me, around tax cuts, because that's not going to happen. In fact, uh, we expect, you know, 30 plus billion uh, a quarter as far as uh, uh, gains for the economy, given some of the tax cuts uh, aren't going to be removed. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the market reacted pretty favorably. In fact, you know, 10-year gilt yields, it's our sort of 10-year Treasury comp uh, fell another 40 basis points or almost half a percent today to 397. And the pound was up uh, over a percent and a half versus the dollar. And as we talked about, right, in order to get uh, the costs of all the inflation uh, uh, issues, uh, at least trying to remedy a bit uh, from groceries to automotive to hair appointments, uh, you know, we need this dollar to uh, soften a little bit because it's causing pressures everywhere. Uh, and, you know, to see the dollar weaken up a bit today is favorable and that helps the markets. And I'd say lastly, uh, you know, chief strategist uh, over at Morgan Stanley, Mike Wilson, he's been a vocal bear and he's been he was wrong for a long time. And then now he's right uh, and he'll be wrong eventually. But at least right now, uh, the market's following every, you know, kind of move that he makes. And he was essentially made a call of a short term technical call, uh, thinking that the market, the S&P 500 could see a 4150 in a technical rally uh, if earnings sort of hold up and, and uh, uh, the things are not as bad as feared. Uh, that lines up well with other technical lines I've talked to you guys about, the 200-week moving average. I know we seem to pull back more and more and more in order to get a, a new average to look at, but the 200-week moving average has been support for a long, long time. Uh, and this is the level, that 3,500-ish level that the S&P bounced off of uh, uh, and held. And we're continuing to do so now as people look at earnings, look at where valuations are and say, hey, you know, at least if the banks aren't terrible, uh, maybe this market is priced too fearful, which is, again, what we've been talking about to be cautiously optimistic into the end of the year. Uh, you know, inflation-wise, CPI was not what we wanted to see. It was worse. Uh, but the markets rallied that day and then gave it back on Friday. But uh, we're uh, sort of lacking for any real inflation data uh, in and through the next Fed hike, which uh, you can bet is going to be three quarters of a percent. Uh, uh, it's probably not going to be lower uh, and it's probably not going to be higher. That's really where the Fed is guided. We'll start to hear more and more about that into the next you know, week or two. Uh, from your various pundits on television and Fed heads. Uh, but that's, you know, those are priced into the market. The market knows that that's coming. They also know that another half basis point is most like, or rather half a percent uh, is coming by the end of the year in December. Those are known knowns. 
uh, anything worse than that would be a spook. But overall, uh, uh, you know, like I've said, those are priced in. So uh, from a you know overall sector standpoint today, I mentioned earlier the the consumer discretionary held up where uh, real estate, you know, another area. Uh, the 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 ETF that I track, the index uh, that I track, is you know down about thirty two percent on the year. There's some bottom fishing there in terms of uh, our uh, uh, the average uh, real estate position. Uh, should the buildings themselves be valued down 30 plus percent or the home builder stocks, uh, should they be valued down as much as they are this year? Good question, right? Uh, the cash flows by and large are still there. It doesn't look like uh, renters much as uh, Daniela had updated earlier. Uh, and, and Jim, you know, as far as the uh, uh, you know, demand is still very much there and maybe there's opportunities for renters to get uh, some exposure, but it hasn't been the case that uh, people are run t- running from rental properties. Uh, uh, I would argue it's been quite the contrary. For some time, uh, that owner-equivalent rent number has been brutal. And I was going to ask Candace about that a little bit later in the show, if I'm lucky enough for her to join. Is, you know, uh, uh, is the Fed uh, potentially pushing rents higher because of uh, the fact that uh, interest rates are moving higher and that rent leaseors uh, are passing on those costs to leasees. And uh, will we be able to get those numbers down anytime soon, given that that's 40% of CPI? So that's, you know, overall, one of the things that we want to keep an eye on. But if you're an investor uh, with REITs down as much as they are, something to maybe do some work on, right? Where you want to be picking through the uh, the rubble uh, when the market is sort of throwing the proverbial baby out. And, you know, is is real estate something that down the road that pays a cash flow, uh, uh, you know, going to be an interesting place to be looking at. As energy on the other side has been the darling, up over 40% this year, uh, yet oil prices are, you know, uh, sort of hovering uh, between supply and demand right now. You had cuts on the OPEC side, but then you've also had builds as far as uh, crude oil inventories are concerned. Uh, is the economy showing that maybe uh, things aren't quite as robust uh, as people think? So, you know, kind of looking at those areas of uh, what's overbought and what's oversold and sort of having your shopping list ready if in fact these levels hold because there can be some you know pretty strong trading opportunities it's not just in tech and all the names that you know of uh, there's areas in the market that uh, people tend to sort of throw out when they think that uh, the world's going to zero but last i checked and again i can't guarantee anything uh, I don't think the world's going to zero anytime soon. So make sure that you have a nice little list uh, available if, in fact, some of these levels can hold into the end of the year. Welcome back to the John Sanchez Show here on News Talk 780 KOH. This is Jason Gaunt. Today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed higher by 551 points or 1.86% to 3,185. The S&P was higher by 95 points or 2.65% to 3,678. And the NASDAQ up 354 points or 3.43% to 10,675. Gold right now, uh, just call it up eight bucks, 16, and sorry, down eight dollars now, 16.56. And oil, uh, in the new session at 85.68, down 0.26 percent for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 16.9 percent, the SP 500 is down 22.8 percent, the Russell 2000 small caps down 22.7 percent, and the NASDAQ down 31.8 percent for the year. 
And that sets the table for one Candace Say from Goldman Sachs, who I am lucky enough to be joined by this evening. How are you doing, Candace? So great. Great to talk to you, Jason. How are you? I am thrilled. I am always happy to talk with you. Uh, I, I leave the show much smarter after doing so. <laughs> I do as well. Thank you. So thanks so much for having me back. Absolutely. So setting the table there with an S&P down 23% for the year, how much sort of pre-earnings, you know, recession fear, et cetera, do you think from a valuation-wise standpoint, this market has priced into it here, uh, uh, you know, is the risk higher on uh, modestly better earnings or uh, do we still have more to digest? Absolutely. I do think, you know, sometimes bad news is good news and vice versa. And we do know that recession fears continue to go up day by day. Uh, Still not our base case, uh, but over the course of the last number of months, we've also brought up recession fears. Uh, But we do think that there are still a lot of uh, strong points within the economy, a healthy banking system, healthy corporations, not a lot of debt maturing, especially in the high yield market. So I do think that we can benefit from, uh, you know, still pretty healthy uh, consumer uh, consumer side of things. And, and we still think recession could uh, come closer than we thought, but we still think base case probably not this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously we get a lot of pushback when we discuss the recession topic and folks obviously look to the uh, more simple way of, you know, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth versus the overall NBER version. And I think that's the toughest part that, you know, I find investors have is understanding, you know, sort of the the the, the quoted version of recession versus actually, you know, with a three and a half percent unemployment rate and prices doing what they're doing, uh, uh, getting their heads around recession. How do you guys sort of talk with clients and investors alike uh, uh, around at least uh, what a recession means to you and sort of what investors should sort of expect uh, or uh, uh, try to expect uh, from their investments and portfolios? Absolutely. So in terms of recession, the most simplistic way to define recession is that two negative quarters of GDP. And we all know a couple months back when we had negative GDP numbers for the second quarter in a row. Uh, in fact, if you took a look at Wikipedia, it shot up in terms of searches for the word recession, 52,000 mm-hmm. percent. Right. So that just goes to show that that simplistic definition really set a lot of investors and just folks back in terms of thinking that we're headed towards recession. So we all know that the official arbiter of recessions is not you or I, it's not that simple definition, but it's the National Bureau of Economic uh, Research. And what they're looking at is not just that GDP number, they're looking at everything within the economy, right? So they're looking at the labor market, they're looking at what's happening with consumer sentiment and consumer activity. So there's lots of numbers that go into um, what the NBER would state as a recession. And, and right now, we don't believe we are in a recession as yet. So uh, with that as a uh, context, you know, let's stay on that R word, right? Like, uh, uh, again, how do you uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, guide, I would say, investors or folks that you're talking with about what to expect from a typical recession in terms of, uh, portfolios and uh, uh, allocation methodologies, et cetera, right? The, 
classic 60-40 portfolio, you know, some have said is dead. Uh, I would argue that, you know, maybe now it actually is fully alive again. Um, it may just be a narrow window of time where it was dead um, or painful, for lack of a better term. But how do you, you know, uh, how does one sort of position for what you guys view as a, even if it is a mild recession, what are some of the things that you're telling uh, folks to do? Absolutely. So if you think back to before this pandemic, right, there was a concept called Tina, meaning there is no alternative. And what that stood for was there was no alternative to equity. So mm -hmm. in the past, if you invested in equities, you would have done extremely well, whether it was U.S. versus international growth versus value or sectors, um, you know, tech versus financials. Right. That would have been the way you would have outperformed. Well, in a period of potential recession, there's going to be a lot of volatility. So in essence, it's turned the concept Tina into Terra, meaning there are reasonable alternatives now. So if you think about recession as a core concern, then perhaps you should start thinking about things like adding core fixed income to your portfolio. Right. Because if we're all wrong and we do head into a recession, core fixed income will be a portion of your portfolio that can probably withstand a lot of the pressures uh, in a recession, but also potentially could keep a, a good portion of your portfolio afloat. I would also look at value equities and also move up in quality. So those are some of the things that I would look at if uh, an investor is concerned about recession. Do you think the value trade has run its course? I mean, obviously, growth versus value has reverted a ton. Um, in fact, like, you know, if I'm just looking at simple ETF, sort of large cap uh, U.S., uh, uh, I can't say them on here. I get in trouble by my firm. But uh, uh, <laughs> if I look at the two, just comparing them from a relative standpoint, growth versus value is almost back to where it was, you know, sort of pre-pandemic. Um, uh, do you still think that value is the spot to uh, at least uh, be more heavily weighted towards? I think you bring up a great point. I think the most difficult thing is to try to time the style market in calling value or growth. But if we were looking over the course, let's say, ballparking the next you know, number of months to next year, we still do think that value uh, can potentially outperform growth, especially as people are still worried about recession. However, longer term, we still think there's room for growth because you know, um, if the environment changes and now we're out of the recession fear camp, uh, then longer term, we do think that more growthier styles should probably endure longer. But again, right now, if the worry is, you know, the economy is not uh, faring as well as, uh, you know, we'd like it to, value, I think, can continue to be the area of choice. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned core bonds. And uh, after the break, I was going to sort of ask you, you know, from a, a, a deploying standpoint, where on the curve that uh, investors should be looking, given obviously all the rate changes and expectations for root, uh, future rate hikes. Welcome back to the John Sanchez show here on News Talk 780 KOH. This is Jason Gaunt. I'm joined by Candace Say of Goldman Sachs. Today, the Dow closed higher by 1.86%. The S&P was higher by 2.65%. And the NASDAQ up 3.43% on the day. When we went into the break, we were talking about diversification and looking at, uh, you know, sort of other areas of the market that there actually are uh, some alternatives now to equities. And we discussed fixed income, right, with rates having now moved up uh, uh, firmly through the three level, certainly in the, the uh, shorter end of the curve uh, and flirting today now right around the four level uh, on the 10 year. Uh, my question to you, Candace, is where are you sort of, you know, pointing investors in terms of the best sort of risk reward in a, you know, a, not a trading account, but more of a, you know, a 
longer-term time horizon allocation uh, into bonds? Are you still staying sort of shorter end of the curve, or are you starting to uh, increase duration a bit? Well, I think the numbers you quoted were absolutely spot on. So if you're looking at where to invest today, well, two years at about 4.43%. So short duration, short on the curve is certainly where a lot of investors can find value right now. But I think if you were thinking about longer term, where should investors consider? Uh, think about more duration later on for your portfolio. Because I do think the key risk of investors piling into short duration at this point is they're really thinking currently the yield is high, we're going to invest there, but you're not really thinking thinking about uh, in the future where you have to think about where you're going to redeploy uh, your reinvestment in the market. Uh, so from that perspective, short term, we would say shorter duration. And then uh, if you're thinking longer term, we move out uh, to a longer part of the curve. Do you have any uh, thoughts on, you know, obviously the Fed is uh, in many different pickles and corners and rocks and hard places, you name it. Uh, uh, what if, in fact, CPI stays stubbornly high, right? Prices uh, do not pull back to the level, you know, uh, you know, they're sort of hopeful 2%, 2% ish target, uh, in 2024, right. That, uh, 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 do you see a case where the fed, uh, continues to raise rates and do you see a, uh, a ceiling that essentially are, uh, <laughs> uh, burdened financial system from a, a debt servicing standpoint, uh, you know, they really can't go much higher than X, be it 5%, 6%, et cetera. Like, you know, again, sort of a long-winded question as to uh, could short-term rates see even more uh, pain uh, higher uh, just due to the, you know, trying to fight this CPI that's been stubborn? Right. So the Fed has come out and said that their major focus is on bringing down inflation. And based on our global investment research, our expectation is for additional hikes to come about. Uh, so our expectation for next month is another 75 basis point hike in December that falls to about 50 basis points. And then another hike next year in February of 25 basis points, bringing us to a terminal rate of about four and a half to four and three quarters percent. So at that juncture, uh, early next year, we think um, the Fed actually takes a pause. Right, because mm -hmm. they want to see what the impact of all the rate hikes that they've been doing this year into early part of next year is doing to the economy. And I think it's really important because they're trying to do a number of things, right? The way they're trying to bring down inflation is by hiking rates. So they need to bring rates to about that 4.6% range. And by doing that, they will reduce aggregate demand, uh, meaning GDP growth, to about 0.9% next year. And that will lower labor demand. Uh, therefore, lowering wage growth, uh, and that, in essence, should pull down inflation. Core PC, what they're looking at, should come down from 4.9% to about 2% over time. Sure. And and we expect that crossover probably somewhere in sort of late 2023 when uh, that inflation rate crosses down below where interest rates are. That's sort of the thought process? Right, exactly, because we've never seen the, you know, the Fed sort of um, stop hikes until they've reached a level that exceeds the year-over-year -year CPI number, and we're not there yet. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously all the things that have been going on with the UK and this fiscal disaster and back and forth, and I uh, feel sorry for everyone involved, but hey, isn't it great to get into politics? Um, uh, do you f <laughs> is that symptomatic of, quote-unquote, something breaking, or do you think that's just one of those byproducts of the, you know, the, the speed with which Global central banks have, you know, gone about trying to tackle this inflation bug that they've really none of them were, you know, have dealt with or seen in, 
you know, uh, 40 plus years? Well, global rates are going to move higher. And we've seen central banks around the world, especially with the larger central banks, continue on this aggressive policy hiking path. Um, And what we've learned is that their hiking paths will look very different depending on what's going on with their particular country and within their particular region. But what we've seen to date is over 78% of major central banks are in the midst of a hiking cycle. Uh, So absolutely to your point, uh, it could really just be policymakers are not used to uh, the levels of inflation, which are so high around the world, and they're trying to, at their best, they're all committed to bringing down and cooling inflation down to a level that's more manageable. So every central bank is going about it in its own way, but they can't think about it just uh, within their own confines of their country. They need to think about what's going on within their own economies, but also the interplay of currency and, you know, what's going on with rates across the globe, what's happening in the U.S., etc. So there's a lot going on that needs to be addressed, not just their own concerns, but they also need to think about what's happening around the globe. As far as globe and obviously the FX has been, I would argue the most important thing this year, the dollar's strength has been such a massive headwind. Um, uh, Do you guys feel the dollar's peaked uh, or is that just more of a technical narrative and we probably see higher dollar uh, before lower into the future? Absolutely. The dollar is a safe haven asset uh, to date. Uh, We do think that the dollar continues to stay near its highs because there's so much fear in the market. Risk aversion will lead investors to the dollar, right? The monetary policy that we're seeing, the risk of recession increasing day over day, uh, the recession risk higher in Europe and the UK, all of those things lead investors to the dollar, which I think will continue to allow the dollar to strengthen over the near term. And then um, I think in the longer run, though, we do see other economies recovering. Uh, For example, if, you know, things are going great and there's a sudden end to this Russia-Ukraine war, all of those things could probably ease recession risks and and concerns, particularly in Europe, and it could lower the need for a safe haven investment in things like the U.S. dollar. Uh, But until that time comes, we do think the dollar will continue to stay strong. Okay. And then uh, if and when that ever actually does happen, does the playbook push for sort of long EM, long small caps, and et cetera? Or uh, do you think Europe uh, bounces back before sort of overall emerging markets do? Well, if you're looking around the corner, I definitely do think that there are opportunities in international and within Europe. You know, again, if we come out of this um, Russia-Ukraine war and and it ends here, then the recession risk, you know, sort of peels off uh, from Europe and the UK. And then if you think about the opportunity set there, I mean, even looking at, you know, technological advances, right? It doesn't have to be technology companies per se, but any companies that can innovate, that can disrupt, adapt, evolve. Those are companies that can actually create wealth. And we do Mm -hmm. think that you can find a lot of those outside of the U.S. And, you know, 33 percent of them reside in Europe, 33 percent of them reside in Asia, and many reside within the emerging markets. So from that perspective, we do think if you look around the corner, there is opportunity in international development, but also emerging markets. And uh, within that small caps moving down in cap makes sense as well. That's awesome. Uh, is staying in the innovation area, obviously large cap growth, uh, uh, technology, et cetera. Uh, do you guys have any view on whether, I mean, we'll call it Fang, but you know, the names I'm thinking of the Microsoft, Google, uh, uh, et cetera. Have they puked enough, right? Have they, uh, from a valuation <laughs> standpoint? And I mean, again, these things by and large short, you know, even meta, uh, throwing it in there, despite the fact they're going through, a. Uh, I would I would argue sort of a full revamp of what the heck they actually are. Um, uh, 
they're, they're cash machines, right? And uh, have, have these pulled back enough from a valuation standpoint that uh, uh, investors, at least that you've been talking to, are uh, uh, getting back involved? Because it feels like they uh, have, have tossed in the towel overall. Or do you think there's still more to go that these are still pretty expensive relative to other areas? So I think the market overall, even though valuations have come down, is still quite expensive, right? And it's expensive uh, in, in terms of, you know, looking through history. Perhaps mm-hmm. it's dropped a little bit over the course of the last couple of weeks and months. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, they're still trading at higher valuations than where people would like to see them. Now, if you think about uh, investments uh, right now, particularly in those same man stocks that you were talking about, they represent nearly 25% of U.S. Right. equity market regarding the S&P 500. So, I don't really think they're going anywhere because these companies are producing the products that we're all using, right? Our phones, uh, to everything else in between, how we're getting our groceries. So a lot of them are providing us with the services that we need day to day. Uh, and we've become accustomed to and rely on even through COVID and, and we continue to use it. So I don't think these companies are going anywhere. Uh, but to the point I said before, there's not just opportunity in these companies. There's still opportunities outside uh, in developed and also emerging markets as well. So technology companies are not just based here in the U.S., but also around the world. Yeah, and that's the toughest part, right? I mean, we we talk to clients, I'm sure you do as well, that there's always just such a natural home bias that takes place and people tend to over-allocate to domestic and so on and so forth. And then, uh, uh, you know, much like you're trying to diversify a portfolio, uh, uh, if you, uh, all of your chips are in the basket that you live in, right? And that's the toughest part is, you know, to in order to, to, to take on additional risks sometimes, uh, you need to, uh, you know, try to move away from that with which you know and that's why i asked sort of about fang and you know they were they were the tina for a period of time certainly last year where all the assets flew into that direction and then you know they got punished on the way out unfortunately because they were the tip of the spear when rates went higher and people started to discount cash flows a little bit but uh i think that's that's certainly something to keep a close eye on and 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 i'm uh, excited to find out who the heck the new fangs are going to be as we uh, break out of this uh, this me this too. move. If because you have a crystal ball, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the market thinks it's energy, right? Or they think it's you know, uh, uh, will it be uh, uh, crypto or things along those lines or something in that halo? Um, and and you know, the thing I wanted to talk to you sort of last out of the break again, not a specific conversation about uh, any crypto specific items, but you know, sort of my thought thesis is been, uh, despite the Fed's, uh, if you want to say reckless or whatever, or stimulus that they jammed into the arms of the market through, uh, you know, into and through COVID, I'm of the opinion, and I'm interested to hear your view, that uh, the companies, the next Googles, Facebooks, et cetera, uh, will be spawned from that, that uh, the money went to some firms that probably wouldn't have existed in the past if if rates weren't at zero. Uh, but sometimes, uh, you know, the ugly baby turns out to be something that uh, overall uh, is, a, is a gem. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm excited to hear sort of what your thoughts are. Welcome back to the John Sanchez Show here on News Talk 780 KOH. This is Jason Gaunt, joined by Candace Say of Goldman Sachs. Right now, the Dow futures are higher by 0.64% or 192 points. The S&P futures are up 27 points or 0.74% and the NASDAQ futures are up 88 points or 0.80% right now. Oil trading higher by about a third of a percent to 85.72, the 10-year at 399. 
Going into the break, uh, we were talking, obviously, about all kinds of good stuff. But uh, most notably, uh, uh, I was trying to dig a bit as to you know where investors or where you guys over at Goldman have people focusing in terms of trying to find the new leaders. Or again, I talked about crypto and parts of those areas of the market that had gotten uh, you know uh, their birth, uh, uh, at least to some extent, some of the uh, new more sort of uh, financial technology companies uh, that probably wouldn't have existed without money being as cheap as it was uh, through 2020, 2021, et cetera. So just from an overall tilting kind of as we uh, end the show, where do you see investors at least tilting in this market if they have a little bit more of a uh, a favorable view uh, that the that the world's not going to end, at least from you know how Goldman Sachs uh, uh, is is looking to allocate? Absolutely. For clients who are looking to stay invested, and I do think it's a great idea, especially for longer-term investors, staying invested is probably the best thing you can do because timing the market, and you and I have been in this industry for so long, it's just nearly impossible. You can get it right once, twice, maybe three times, but consistently it is really impossible. So I think finding the right opportunities to navigate you know, whether it's this volatility or the recession concerns that folks are worried about. I mentioned Tara before, the reasonable alternatives to equities. We do think that, you know, investing within fixed income, core fixed income, municipal bonds, uh, those are areas that are interesting at this point. Uh, we talked about equities, value equities, uh, various ways to generate income, whether it's in equities or other components within fixed income. That's also something to consider at this juncture with lots of volatility. Thinking about buy right strategies, thinking about absolute return strategies. Those are other ways that you can also incorporate investments into your current portfolio, uh, but also, you know, concerns over things like inflation should enable investors to take advantage of things like commodities, as you mentioned, Jason, earlier, uh, perhaps some real estate, which you also mentioned before I got on, <laughs> and then also diversifying uh, to other areas within equity. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. I, you know, it's, it is very difficult, obviously, for many people listening and obviously doing it on their own, you know, to, to, to get concerned and sort of viewing things from this myopic, get out of the market, get in the market type view. And that is just, it is uh, an incredibly difficult game. Uh, you need to be very quantitative in nature because psychology, I assure you, will burn you because everyone who's like, oh, well, I, this was the time I knew it. Yeah, you said that 20 times in a row, right? And that's the toughest part. And I think sort of exactly to your point is the areas in this market that probably, you know, feel like the, the healthiest place that can provide both a hiding place as well as a, you know, a solid return are those more mature companies that are paying dividends and yield. And, you know, you mentioned real estate, you mentioned alternatives, obviously some of the, you know, uh, uh, more uh, qualified uh, uh, buyers uh, in private equity and things along those lines who afford you the ability to probably not puke uh, when you, you want to that, you know, on the other side, you're probably positioned uh, pretty well. I really do appreciate again uh, all the color that you bring, and uh, uh, I'm always uh, I, I I truly do smile when I get to see that I get to talk with you. So thank you very much, Candice. Thank you so much, Jason. I'll talk to you soon. Tell John I said hi. I will for sure. I I know he uh, sends his very best. He's a big fan. But uh, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we will have a nice real estate topic for you tomorrow with uh, Corey and Dwight. But right now I will uh, sign off from the office of Sanchez Wealth. I'm Jason Gaunt, News Talk 780. KOH. On air, online, on demand. News Talk 780 KOH. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.